I'm Sarah Brown, and this is Gnosis, the podcast where no topic is off limits, but it's always in the outer limits. Hey everybody, I hope you're all happy and healthy and finding balance in your life during all of this COVID craziness. I want to thank you for sticking with me during this season of life and apologize for taking so long to release another episode. I'm sure I don't have to explain all of the drama that is 2020 to you, but it has taken its toll for sure. In any case, This episode was actually recorded over the summer, but I've been grappling with the message that I want to share here. I have to admit, when I embarked on recording this episode, I didn't really know what I was going to find, despite my efforts to become educated on the subject ahead of time. You saw from the title that this episode is about regression therapy, but I had no idea what it was when I was introduced to our guest today. Through earlier conversations with some of my guests, the concept of past lives has been brought up over and over again. So I was in search of someone with past life knowledge. It was only when a former guest introduced me to Merit that I learned what regression therapy is and how it plays a role in people learning about their past lives. What I thought I was looking for when I went into this conversation was someone who had a knowledge of past lives and could give me a quick overview of what it was and their beliefs around it. Pretty standard for the show you're used to. However, what I found was so much deeper and less structured, and dare I say it made me question some of my own beliefs. I have truly been sitting on this conversation for months, because it made me think about the afterlife more deeply than I have before, And honestly, I don't know if I was ready to face those kinds of thoughts. Before diving in, I'd like to give all the newbies some background on regression therapy before I play our interview. If I could sum it up simply, regression therapy is like hypnotherapy, where a regression therapist connects with you deeply on a spiritual level, and the therapist enters a trance in order to guide you hypnotically back to the source of your pain. Your pain can be physical, mental, or spiritual, and it could have occurred in this life or in a past life. You then work through your pain by reliving the source of pain and working through it. Today's guest, Merritt Fisher, is a licensed past life and spiritual regression therapist, between life spiritual regression therapist, and certified hypnotherapist a high vibrational energy healer, and a Reiki master slash teacher. She works with people to help them identify the source of their emotions or issues, to fully understand or resolve them, and to find strength and understanding from within to continue on their way healthily, happily, and with confidence. It's like an intense spiritual therapy session which Merritt says should only typically take one session. It's that deep. Now, like I said, I was not prepared for this conversation, so it's okay if you aren't either. 
It's taken me months of sitting with what Merritt shared with me and dissecting it in ways that make me feel good. I still haven't formed my own beliefs around what we talked about, but I have to come to the conclusion that it's okay not to know what I believe around this. That was one of my favorite parts of this conversation. Merit is so open that she suspends belief entirely. Unless she's had a personal experience with something spiritual, she doesn't make her mind up about anything. It's a fascinating concept that's really had me thinking about my own beliefs and what has shaped them. Is it personal experience? Or is it because someone encouraged me to believe in something? Either way, I'm so grateful that I was able to meet Merit and have such a challenging conversation for myself. No matter what effect this conversation has on you, I hope you're able to keep an open mind. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Merritt Fisher today. Merritt, I usually start by having people introduce what they do on the show. But with you, I since the topic is really your work, I'm curious to start with um, your spiritual beliefs. So could you give us an overview of your spiritual journey? I'd love to. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. So we're going to talk more about beliefs, I think, throughout this whole conversation that we're having, um, because that's something that I think about a lot, like belief versus my new reality. Um, And I think there's a difference. But to tell you a little bit about my spiritual journey, um, when I was a little kid, I was able to see spirits and talk to spirits and just had a a really healthy relationship with spirits until I was told that that's not normal. It was really pounded into my head that, you know, that's not what we do. We don't, you don't talk about talking with spirits. I always wanted to do what my parents needed me to do. It was part of my growing up and it's something that I had to work on, you know, to let go of that in this process too. But I set that aside. When I was in my late thirties, I started having encounters with spirits again and I just kind of rolled with it. Um, didn't think much of it. In my early forties, my husband's father was dying of cancer and we had made several trips back to Illinois to see him and to help out as much as we could as he was um, declining. And on our last trip there, I remember very vividly, we were in a rental minivan on one of those two-lane Illinois highways where people go 70. It's it's really an experience. It's not anything that I was really ever used to. So I was gripped driving this minivan, and there was country music on the... um, on the radio station and not the kind of country music that I like, you know, it was just not a very soothing meditative experience all around. And all of a sudden I heard a voice in my head and it was not an unfamiliar voice because as I said, I had had this relationship with spirit when I was a child. And there was one particular voice that I heard a lot, very loving, very taking care of me voice. And it was the same voice after so long. And the voice said, it's time for you to help people live better and die without fear. And I said, it is absolutely time for me to do that. It was just an instant knowing that, yes, that's exactly what I need to be doing. And at the time, I was working in Las Vegas. 
I was living in Park City, Utah. I was commuting down to work, you know, remotely, living in Vegas for three or four nights a week. My daughter was three years old. My husband had a very uh, difficult job with lots of responsibility. It was just too much. And so the timing, you know, compounded with the death of my father-in-law was really, like, it was quite evident that this was a huge turning point in my life. So I asked this voice, um, how, how do I do this? And the response was so brief and so nothing that I would ever come up with. The response was hypnotherapy. And I thought, okay, so this is obviously not me talking to myself, right? Because (laughs) I was like, what is that? I said, okay. And that was kind of the, that was, you know, the end of the conversation at that point. I got to my destination. I had to deal. But I take these, I took the voice seriously and I started doing some research and, um, you know, I'm a very analytical person, um, and I need details. I need to understand something. I couldn't just go off and go on a path of hypnotherapy until I could just go off and go on a path of hypnotherapy. So I started reading and um, I read all about Edgar Casey. I read books about him. I read books by him. I um, kind of steeped myself in him and was fascinated by this, you know, by what he could do. I moved on and I read Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss. And I, you know, that was fine. It it didn't hit me like a bolt of lightning. But when I read Journey of Souls and then immediately read Destiny of Souls and immediately read Memories of the Afterlife and then immediately read Life Between Lives by Michael Newton, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And it was hypnotherapy, but not just the kind of hypnotherapy where we help people um, stop smoking or, you know, lose weight. All those things are really important, but it was a deeper kind of hypnotherapy um, that is called regression therapy. That is what I do now. Oh my gosh. This is an absolutely crazy story. Um, Okay. Before we I ask you any additional questions about that, could you actually clarify to the listener who Edgar Casey was and why he was important. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even remember how I stumbled upon him, to be honest with you. So he was born in 1877. He died in 1945. Um, he was a clairvoyant that lived in um, Virginia, I believe. Again, you know, we don't, it's not like he was in Greece or, you know, some really amazing place where you would expect the, you know, spirit to just be accessible. Um, and he, I don't really know how he started doing it. Um, I think he started working with hypnotherapists and they realized that in working together, he could access incredible information that helped people health-wise, where he knew incredible details about people's lives, where he could relay in detail experiences and history from the past, past um, of which he had no knowledge beforehand, um, on all different levels. And he 
you know, really became known as a healer. He became one of the first American experts in reincarnation, um, in uh, dreams, in the afterlife. He gave detailed information on Atlantis and also future events as well. So, you know, really incredible man, um, very early in U.S. history who was doing these incredible things. And I was fascinated by him. Okay, I'm so fascinated by him too. And I'm curious because, I mean, he gave all this information while under a trance. So is that, I mean, I don't want to get into it too early, but is that like a similar method that you use? It is, yeah. And that is why I felt like that was why I was drawn to him um, to learn about this accessing your subconscious or the universal unconscious through trance. It's like, you know, in trance, when we talk about hypnosis, it's not like those um, kind of sideshows that came to your high school and like made people cluck like a chicken, you know, that's not it. You don't lose control of yourself. What it is, is intense hyper-focus. And when um, induced to this state and giving yourself permission, you can access this reality that is beyond the reality that we have been conditioned to experience as human beings in society. So the reality of me looking at you right now, the reality of my table, the reality of the traffic outside, it's beyond that, which is our, in our environs and more connected with all that is. And that's what the, the kind of trance that we work with in regression therapy. That is so fascinating to me. I love that statement you said where you're conditioned to experience things. And it is making me go back to your spiritual belief story at the beginning. Did you grow up in a specific religion? I did. I did. I grew up Catholic in a very Catholic family. I am the product, uh, and happily so, of 16 years of Catholic education, including a degree from the University of Notre Dame. Um, Yeah, so it's, you know, I know very well about Christianity and Catholicism in particular, because that was my life for so long. And I really believed, I really believed that that was reality until all of a sudden it wasn't my reality anymore. Yeah. The way that you speak and when I've listened to your videos and read your writing, it makes me feel like you don't have a religion anymore. That's and correct. Interesting. Yeah. So you have this, like a belief system. Is it evolving? How would you describe it? You know, I, it's a really great question. I used to have a belief system. And then because of experience, I have let my belief system go and I no longer have a belief system because my work and what I see every day and the experiences I've had myself and that I have with my clients on a daily basis precludes belief. I am seeing and experiencing things that have become my new reality. And that is not static. It is always evolving. And it's, 
it's so important in this work that I do to keep an open mind and to allow it to change because that is where growth is possible. It's so fascinating to me because I mean, I grew up Christian as well and I I would still consider myself Christian, but I would also consider myself curious about everything. Um, And I, I definitely think that my beliefs expand beyond what is. Yes. Um, Well, the thing that I've come to realize is that religion and spirituality are not mutually exclusive. And I would even go so far as to say that doctrine and spirituality are not mutually exclusive. I work with people of any religion. I've worked with many denominations of Christianity, with Jewish people. Um, When I was living in, in Utah, I had a huge number of clients that were LDS. Um, I've worked with Buddhists and Hindus and people that consider themselves simply spiritual. It doesn't matter to me if you're agnostic or Gnostic. Your wanting to explore and come to me is all I need. I love that you said religion and spiritually are not mutually exclusive because I feel like everyone is like, oh, I'm religious or I'm spiritual. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, there are so many examples, you know, and I can speak from personal experience in Christianity and Catholicism. So many beautiful, amazing people who are devoutly Catholic that are incredibly spiritual people and for whom Catholicism works really well, but they allow this mysticism within their religion that I think is really beautiful. And I, who am I to tell someone how, you know, what their beliefs should be or what their experiences should be? That's not my job at all. My job is to help people access the, their inner divine in whatever form that comes. I think that's so beautiful. And I'm curious to know, can we talk about how you became Like, what was the process of becoming a regression therapist like? Yeah, so I've mentioned, you know, this voice came to me. I started doing research. I did not say anything to anyone. And all of a sudden, my best friend, Lisa, sends me this link to an academy for regression therapy. And, you know, I already said, I'm so analytical. I need all the research until I don't need the research anymore. And I just was like, I'm going for it. I put in my notice for Las Vegas, the company I was working for, and I signed up for this course and I told my husband, not in that order, and (laughs) I told my husband first, I did, (laughs) and I just went for it. That being said, you know, I (laughs) don't advise people to just jump into um, a path of learning without doing research. It just was so perfect and felt so intuitively right to me that I went for it and it worked out great. For anyone that is interested in studying past life regression, um, I really recommend uh, going to the Earth Association website. Have been very well vetted, are very professional and ethical, and any of them anywhere in the world would be a really great choice. And from there, Use your intuition. 
And if it feels right, it is right. If it doesn't feel like a good fit for you, don't do that one. Okay. So let's just, let's dive in to the meat of this conversation. Yeah. Can you give us an overview of what is regression therapy? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a really good idea since we've been talking about it and haven't really gotten into it. In regression therapy, what we do is we get to the source, the very source of a person's emotional challenge. And we use hypnotic trance to do that. And when we get to the source through working through the scenario where we find ourselves, whether it's in a past life or in our current life, perhaps a suppressed memory, um, then we uncover the details so that we come to an understanding about that emotion. It's like filling in the blanks. Okay. And then once we come to an understanding, then we go past the death point in that life, unless we're working with current life and we can't go past the death point, but then we move into spirit realm and we have really incredible personal conversations with the other souls that have played roles in that life. So for instance, if I went back to a life where I was burned at the stake, I would come to understand all the details about what happened leading up to that. What was my life like? What events led to that? Who played a role in that? You know, I've, it was, it's really answering the questions, why? Filling in the colored details. And then I would have conversations with the people that made the decision that I needed to die by burning at the stake. Sometimes it's really challenging, but always, 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 we get to a place of love and understanding where I am able to forgive and my perpetrator is able to apologize and ask perhaps for forgiveness. By coming to understand, by finding that place of forgiveness, we are then able to let it go. And it's in the letting go that the healing actually transpires because we're not carrying that emotion with us anymore. Um, And I call it love it and let it go. You know, it's like when we feel emotions, whether they be anger or sadness or fear, there is a sense like, oh, I have to just get rid of it. That, you know, I need to not be afraid. I need to not be angry. Well, that's great. But before you do that, you need to love it. You need to see it and respect it and understand it. And then you can let it go. Only then, I think, can you let it go. It takes so much energy to hold on to. And it's really amazing the freedom that we feel and the healing that we feel when we're able to just say, okay, I don't need that anymore. Okay. That feels so big. And like, I want to say it simply to make sure I'm understanding it and my listeners understand it. It's if I dumb it down to its simplest form, please hypnotically helping people heal past pain, hypnotically helping people heal emotional challenges by getting to the source of them, understanding them and letting them go. I can't imagine it because I've never had it done. Sure. So I, I'm curious to know like how I know you, you and I've talked before, but how many sessions typically, or what are some examples of pain people go through? Sure. 
in order to get over whatever. Before we get to that, let me talk a little bit about the, maybe this will help about the process of when a client comes to me. Okay. So a client will come to me and they will say anything. Like I have, I have pain that I cannot explain that no doctor can explain that I've tried everything to remedy and it will not go away. Yeah. I get a lot of people who, you know, come to me as a last ditch effort. They're like, I don't know if I believe in past lives. I don't know if, you know, this will work, but I just got to try something. Um, and that's, I, I love it when people do that because they're just like broken to the point of I'll try anything, right? It's amazing. It's the ultimate Phoenix rising from the ashes scenario. So I get those people. I get people who say, you know, I have a horrible relationship with my mother and I really, I want to, you know, we got to fix her, right? Or um, I feel like I can't finish anything, or I feel like I'm just not good enough. Okay. So I hear just a broad swath of examples. So when someone comes to me, I work with them before we even meet to identify emotions that are coming up for them. So maybe it's sadness, maybe it's fear and write all of them down on a piece of paper. Okay. Then I want you to tell me on a scale from zero to 10, 10 being the highest, what, what's the level there? Like how much anger do you have? Okay. If it's 10 out of 10, great. Put that down. If it's two out of 10, put that down. Then I want you to tell me the thoughts that go with that emotion. And if the thoughts are about anyone but you, you need to go back and do it again. Because we are not here to fix other people. We can only fix ourselves. So for instance, with the woman who has a bad relationship with her mom, maybe um, mom only talks about her chihuahua every time that they're on the phone. And poor daughter is just feeling like, I just want you to pay attention to me, right? So she might say, I'm angry. The thoughts that go with that, mom only talks about the chihuahua. Well, that's about mom. So I want you to dive in deeper and tell me how it feels to you when mom only talks about the chihuahua. And then she might say, I feel abandoned or I feel like I'm not good enough. Well, there we are. That's getting to the source of the emotion for her. So that's what we'll work with. I want to know the frequency that she feels this emotion and then how long it lasts. You know, is it, does it overcome her for days at a time or does it, you know, is she feeling it for a couple hours and then she, you know, goes for a walk and she feels better. I want to know all of that stuff. And the reason that we do that is not only to pinpoint the emotion so that we can pick the emotion that is strongest at the time of our meeting and work with that emotion, when I'm inducing her, I will say, we're going to go to the source of unworthiness. So that will guide her to the right place emotionally and spiritually. But the other reason that we take all these metrics, you know, analytically minded people like you and I, 
Um, we need this, right? But everybody needs this because we're talking about healing and we're talking about making people better. So I want to know, yeah, I want to know how you're feeling when you come to see me. And then I'm going to follow up with you in about one to two weeks after our session, which will probably last about three hours. And we can talk more about that. And I will give you the same questions. I will say, what emotions are you feeling? Where are you on the scale? What, is, um, what are the thoughts that go with it? And we see a decrease. We just do because we've gone to the source of it. It's, I've never not seen a decrease in the emotion that we've worked with. Sometimes it goes all the way to zero. What we want is zero. And sometimes, often, after one session, it will go all the way to zero. On tougher cases, you may need more than one session. I think the most sessions I've ever done on one emotion is four. And that was for a beautiful young woman who was so depressed that she was contemplating suicide. She could not get out of bed. Um, and she, life was just simply not worth living. And it took four sessions for us to get her emotion down to zero. And she subsequently moved to Europe, got a new job, started line dancing. Like she was amazing, but it's quick. It's not like traditional talk therapy where it goes on for years and years and years. I do not want codependency. My biggest joy is when I see you once and I never see you again. <laughs> but maybe you tell me how you're doing every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm like listening to you and I'm like, why do people not do this more? Yeah. This is yeah. crazy. It's so amazing. Well, it's new and it's different, you know? And, you know, we just talked about religion and kind of um, uh, reconciling religion with this work. But on the other side of the coin, we have science. And reconciling science with this work is harder, I think, than reconciling religion. I find that more people are vocal about it on the religious front because a lot of people feel like it's an affront to their beliefs when really it's not. Um, but, you know, people need to go through their own process of, of understanding. On the science front, there's an amazing man, um, Dr. Peter Mack out of Singapore. Um, he's written at least one fantastic book, including case studies, where um, he was an MD and treating people in the tradition way, traditional way, traditional medicine. However, because he was from Singapore um, and his cultural upbringing allowed for past lives, and um, he somehow was introduced to this method of healing and was fascinated by it. And he Uh, earned his degree, he became a licensed um, regression therapist and started treating clients both um, with medicine when necessary, but also with regression therapy. He teamed it up and his results were incredible. 
Um, and he's just a brilliant gentleman. He's an incredible writer, and I recommend anyone check out his work. But it's another example of when your beliefs, it takes a highly humble person, I believe, to have a belief and believe so staunchly in it, and then to see evidence that shifts it and to just go with it. And he's an example on the other side, you know, of the not religious, but the scientific side. So would you say this work, despite the fact that it can't really be proven in the scientific world, would you say it's more uh, spiritual work or more scientific work? It's absolutely, it's absolutely more spiritual. It's very spiritual. In fact, I call myself a spiritual regression therapist because, um, as I mentioned, sometimes we do go to past lives. Sometimes when you go to the source of a trauma or terror, you find that in your current life. And the current life is no less spiritual than a past life. It's life, you know? And, yeah. um, you know, sometimes in my work, people opt to do, usually after several regression sessions, they opt to, to do a life between life session where they visit themselves post their past, their latest past life before they incarnated as themselves now to understand life planning, to understand more about their soul, to maybe meet if they're not familiar already with their spirit guide to meet their soul group, to just experience that life that is in spirit realm that is more real than the life that we live here within the walls and the constructs. So maybe this is a good time then to talk about, we've talked a lot about like the soul and the fact that in your work you visit past lives so what have you learned about past lives and the soul, like the timeline of a soul? Right. You know, time is such a tricky thing because it's a human construct, a necessity of living in a gravitational world of heaviness where we progress from point A to point B. Um, so it's very hard to do if you're not a quantum physicist to think about time as relative. However, so, you know, forgive me if this doesn't sound to point A to point B, but I'll try to do it in human, to discuss this in very human, um, through human interpretation, I guess. We all are born, if you will, of source. Source is the still point, it's pure potentiality. It is the essence and the reality of all that is. And as members, I guess, of source, we then choose paths of learning to benefit the whole. This is sounding very esoteric. Um, but but essentially, all I want to say here is that each soul is born of source and then goes on its journey. And all the, all the learnings of each soul benefits not only the soul, so you, Sarah, or me, Merit, doesn't just benefit us in our soul growth. It benefits 
all because we are all connected to everything. We are all connected to source. Okay. And a lot of us, um, I would say all of us from my experience, and this may not be true because I haven't, I just haven't experienced otherwise. We um, begin our work as souls in soul groups. Um, and we have companionship and we have teams, with it. you know, it's like the Braves, you know, <laughs> like, you all are working on the same type of lessons and you, and you work together. And so, you know, you might all choose to incarnate at the same time, taking on different roles to help each other learn a specific lesson. And for the sake of conversation, and because we all at some point, and in all ways, I would say, study love as souls, let's just talk about studying love, okay? So a soul group comes to earth and takes on different roles as different in different bodies for each other. And through interplay of relationships, through loss and hardship and triumph and joy, we learn our lessons about love. Then when we die, we rejoin with our spirit groups, our soul groups in the spirit realm. And we download the information and learn from each other and find the forgiveness, find healing where it's necessary, but it's all unconditional love. Um, and then we may move on. Um, and I want to talk about this too. I'm, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. So bring me back to this point, please. But, you know, when you talked about religion, and we talked about Christianity and, and the presentation to us of good and evil. Well, that was my belief too. I believed in good and I believed in evil and I believed in judgment and I believed in being punished for one's sins. The moment that fell away for me, it was a collective moment, I have to say, but it was when I experienced over and over and over and over again that when one passes away, there is never any hell. We are always greeted in spirit realm with unconditional love by our teacher, by our spirit guide, often by our soul group. And it may take some time to shed away the heaviness of the life that you just lived, to find healing and to come to understanding about the role that you just played on earth. But it's not about judgment ever. It is simply about love and coming to terms with, you know, in studying love, it's not, it's not just love that we study. We don't understand love if we've only ever been in love. So when we study love, we have to understand all types of love. So love of another in a, in a, a romantic relationship, perhaps. Love of a child or children. Love of parents. Love of country. Um, love of work. Love of money. Love of... Um, perverse acts. It's all love in a way. Mm -hmm. Then we need to understand the opposite of love. 
So perhaps you might feel, live a life where you experience not love, where you might experience abuse or pain and suffering or neglect. Um, That all is a lesson in love as well. And then it's also important and sometimes far less palatable to us as people who really want to be good people. We experience the, um, the act of not loving. So we experience being the bad guy. And as much as we don't ever want to be the bad guy, we have all at some point in our journey as souls been the bad guy. It doesn't mean that there's less love by the soul. It doesn't mean that we are less than or deserve to be punished. It simply means that we made a choice as a soul before incarnating to take on a role to learn a lesson in all sorts of pain (laughs) and suffering to really understand what it means to not love someone or something. So, oh my gosh, I, I just let you talk because it's really mesmerizing to listen to, honestly. The thing that keeps coming up for me when I'm listening to this, I mean, I want to clarify too. You're saying through regression therapy, you've learned reincarnation exists. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does the cycle ever end? Do we ever like learn enough about love in all of its facets and like take turns being this bad guy right. that we ever come to a point where the cycle ends and yeah. do that in groups or what does that look like? So this is where, this is where I don't have personal experience. And so I can only talk about belief, I guess, or projection or what other people say, but yes, in fact, I have worked with souls who have encountered other souls who are no longer incarnating here on earth because their lessons have come to completion. However, that does not mean that their work as souls is done altogether. There's more beyond our training ground and our our practice ground of earth that I do not know because I have not personally experienced myself or through clients but then there are other phases of of learning and perhaps you know um perhaps those souls go on to incarnate on another planet or perhaps they are guides of souls and their work becomes simply helping others here on earth or somewhere else um, in another dimension learn their lessons. But they never stop learning and they never stop growing, you know. And that's, that's one thing that I, um, I made a note of to mention at some point in this conversation. But If you ever encounter someone, whether a teacher or a friend or, you know, someone that you just run into that tells you that they've done all their spiritual work, just know that those people are missing the point of life (laughs) because we are never done with our spiritual work. You can't interact with other people in a loving way and not 
continue to learn and grow. So if you come across someone, and I've heard it a lot of people that say, oh, I've done all my work. It's like, okay, I accept that that's what you believe. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to non-judgmentally and lovingly, you know, respond in a way that, you know, where I feel good about myself still, but I may not choose to interact with that person on a spiritual level anymore because it's simply not true. And the other thing is, if you ever have a teacher that tells you that, find another teacher because no one has done all their work. No, no great spirit guide, you know, in conversation with you as your teacher would tell you, oh, I'm done. Okay, I want to talk about spirits then. Okay. Because growing up, I feel like I was similar to you. I had a lot of spiritual experiences. And nowadays, I feel like it's more of just sensing something near. But with all the spirits that you've worked with and the experiences you've had from being a child, like, who are these spirits? And yeah, like, how are they in between lives? Or are they past lives? Um, well, there are earthbound spirits, um, and a lot of spirits who die, a lot of people who die, um, will either choose to, or be confused at the time of death and not make the transition into spirit realm. This could be a sudden death, a car accident, you know, a it happens a lot when the death is just complete surprise. They don't realize that they're dead. So they stay here without their bodies and they're kind of stuck. They are stuck. Another um, example, or I guess on the other side of this is spirits that actively make the choice to stay here. And I've seen this a lot when um, a parent dies and feels this draw to their child that they must protect their child or their children. And so they will stay and do so. And they'll stay with that child. The child will grow up and live his or her life and pass away and go to spirit realm. And spirit, mom, is still here, is stuck here. There are, you know, lots of times when there's trauma. So um, Holocaust, um, people who've, who've found death through Holocaust situations you know, they may stay in a place. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of Native American lands here around where I live that are rife with spirits. Um, and I think that there's a combination of reasons that they stay here. And, and, you know, some of it is protecting the land. Some of it is they were not treated well. And, you know, there were some massacres. Some of it is, you know, just simple personal relationships. They want to stay with the person that they love. This happens a lot. I've even um, met a spirit that I I did clear that stayed after his death to be with his love and his love um, later died and reincarnated and the spirit found her and stayed with her her whole life. She has memories of this man in her bedroom, like, following her around her whole life until she was about 30, I think about 35. And she started um, feeling him. And, but it got to the point where her, her husband started feeling him and his, her husband felt really threatened by this 
presence that would be in their bedroom, you know, that would be caressing her ear, which he would talk to her and tell her how much that he loved her, was very genuine, real, and beautiful love that transcended death and life again. And, you know, her not even really understanding that it was him who was there. And so she called me and I connected with this spirit and got his story and could tell his story to her, which of course was incredibly moving to her. Um, But then together, you know, it was her saying to him, I let you go. You know, you have a life that is your soul's life beyond just me. And I want you because I love you to go and live that. And that was the only way that he then would go back to spirit realm was when she told him to go. So they kind of have to choose for themselves to go back to spirit realm. Not necessarily. A lot lot of time when I do clearing, I will simply, um, and I do it almost every day, to be honest. Um, I invite the spirit guides of the spirit to come and join the spirit and wrap that spirit in love and light, make communicate with that spirit in whatever way is most appropriate for that spirit and then send them on their way all the way back to source so that the spirit can continue on his or her journey. Yeah. So there are earthbound spirits and there are, there is also um, dark energy at work here on earth um, and between dimensions. And um, I did a podcast um, with a woman named Dana Whitby on her podcast, which is called Soul Rising, all about dark energy and clearing dark energy that has given a lot of people a lot of insight and a lot of hope. Um, so I really recommend that people check that out too. I think if we got on the topic of dark entities and dark energies here, we could, you know, I think I talked an hour and a half with her just about that. So, <laughs> but there are, there are energies at play here. I think the thing to remember that I at first found incredibly eye-opening was that even the dark is of the light. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about life planning and as a soul before incarnating saying, okay, I'm studying love and I really want to understand what it means to be and to push out into the world, not love. So I'm going to be the bad guy. Okay. And I, I sign up to be that villain or Hitler. That is a choice. It's a personal choice to bring about change or to bring about understanding on a greater, greater level, often beyond oneself, but there's personal learning there too. And what I've found is that it is the same for this energy that causes a great amount of confusion and suffering in people as well. It's like, (laughs) this is how I understood this. I asked my spirit guide to teach me and we went to like a spirit. What would it be like an energy 501 class, like an event, like master's degree energy. Right. And there's a whole room full, if you will, room of, of energy of different souls and spirits. Right. And, and 
it it's working not as a human level, but as energies, right? And it's like, okay, who's gonna be who's gonna be good? You know, and some souls raise their hand, like I will. Okay, who's gonna go? You gotta we gotta have a, an actual debate here. You know, who's gonna be the bad guy? And again, the energy is like, I will, I will do that. So when I clear energy, very, very dark energy um, from this plane, I send it back to the light Mm. to be used or to not be used, but transmuted for love. So the darkness doesn't stay forever. No. Interesting. I like that, actually. Yeah, it's very hopeful. It is hopeful. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we can't, I meet a lot, a lot of people who are very troubled by dark entities or dark energies. And there are many, there are, I think, a handful of reasons that I would not be able to clear that person. And the first is I don't have permission from the person. Like sometimes someone will call and say, my mom is, is possessed. Can you clear her? And I really I say, no, I cannot clear her without her express permission to clear her. For me, that is not ethical. And I'm not going to work on someone for whom I don't have permission. Okay. The second thing would be, I don't have permission from spirit, from source. And what that means is for whatever reason, that person has chosen in this lifetime to experience what they're experiencing. And I do not have the right to take that experience away from them. And I do run into that sometimes. How do you know when you have permission or not? So I can tune in via trance um, to spirit. And when I'm not doing that, because it's not always convenient to just be like, oh, excuse me, I have to go to trance, <laughs> like Edgar Casey, right? So um, right now I'm taking off my necklace and um, I'm showing Sarah that I have a, just a simple silver necklace with a blue stone here um, as a charm and I use this as my pendulum saying a big yes right now and I work with a pendulum on a very regular basis um, where I connect the pendulum directly with source I protect the pendulum from any outside intrusive energy and I really settle myself and then I can ask the pendulum yes, no questions. And so I would say, do I have permission to clear Aunt Maud of her entities? And it would tell me here, it's just telling me no, by example. Hmm. So I ask pen, like was dowsing or pendulum work included in your training about regression therapy or is this a method that you've adopted later? No, it was included. It was included. And I also use, um, if I ever feel, so the thing about intrusive energies is that they can influence your pendulum. They can move, um, physical objects, especially when it's connected with energy, right? So that's why I'm very careful to only connect it with source and to put protection around it before I use it every single time and to clear it every single time. 
sometimes I might feel that the pendulum is being compromised in some way. So then I will do muscle testing. So I will ask myself a question and just do muscle testing. And here I'm, I'm demonstrating for Sarah, just locking my fingers and pulling my uh, one ring through the other of between my thumb and finger. Um, so muscle testing is a good backup. And then um, idiomotor response is another backup um, where you do kind of uh, induce a slight light trance and you tell your fingers, I use my fingers, um, and I establish yes and no. It's kind of the yes set, the no set. Um, when my pointer finger raises, that's yes. When my thumb raises, that's no. Um, and I know I have um, enough spiritual and physical proprioception to know when it is idiomotor and when, you know, I don't anymore really have to be curious about if I'm influencing it, but that's something that you need to work on when you're first starting it. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Okay. So I know because I read some of your work that you've had, obviously I'm assuming to, to become a regression therapist, you would need to have regression therapy. Um, Yes. And that goes back to the question, you know, how, how does, what is it like to become a regression therapist? And um, you do have to do lots and lots of personal healing in the process. So the process for me was a good two years from the point of earning my certificate in hypnosis to the point of earning my certificate in between lives spiritual regression. So it's like a two years master's program, if you will. It's highly intense um, coursework where we go and we meet for a week intensely. Um, and it's like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day with a lunch break. It's not you know, just an hour here or there. It's full on. And then we do, um, uh, we become the subjects of our fellow um, students. And likewise, we work with them. Um, and so during that time, and then between the, each course, there were four, uh, we did a lot of work on ourselves as well. Um, when we're not in class, those week sessions, we are required to do um, a hefty number of case studies where we work with clients, not for pay. People know that we're not certified. Um, and we do case studies and we work with them and write up the case studies, which are supervised, um, not while we're in session, but the write-ups are supervised and we get detailed responses from our professors and we really work with them to um, until they feel that we've got it dialed. So it's twofold. It's it's really the coursework and understanding how to do this, and then getting our our healing well underway to the point where we will not be triggered when we have someone come in who's been raped, or when we have someone come in who's witnessed murder, or you know, whatever our own emotional things are, we need to take care of those because we cannot be bawling next to the person that is on our couch, really going through something intense and deeply healing. That makes sense. Yeah. So would you be willing to share some of your 
experiences, whether in past life or? Sure. I think that, you know, one thing is like, um, and you and I talked about this briefly before is I can't, I can share anecdotes from clients, but I can give you lots of details about my own stuff. Right. Because, you know, I give myself permission. Um, I think that I'm not, maybe I'll leave it up to you. Would you like to discuss my past lives in relation to when we might be the bad guy or when a positive past life might be very therapeutic? I, I like the bad, the bad guy. I think let's say. Bad guy? Yeah. So one thing to remember is that it's never, ever black and white. Life just is not. So when we talked about judgment before and really like reserving judgment using source and spirit realm as a role model, like let's not judge. Let's just love, right? And that's very Christ-like talking about religion and talking about the Bible, that's very Christ-like. He was all about love and non-judgment. That is really important when we look at our lives that we have experienced in the past. And before I dive into that, I'll say that I've worked with a number of uh, people who've served very hefty prison time, um, who have murdered and who have raped. And I have, I have not been more touched and more just feeling the grace of love and um, forgiveness and the beauty of this universe that we are part of than in working with these people who come to me after having committed what we would think in society as heinous crimes, who want only forgiveness and love and want to change their lives. And I will tell you that in all the people that I've worked with for whom this has been a reality, not one of them was not abused as a child or did not witness horrific things when they were very young. Yes, we are perpetrators. There are perpetrators, but I would say that not many of them were not also victims in their life. And so just really remembering that in our quest to not be judgmental, I think can be helpful. So I'll tell you about this life that I experienced when I was really diving into this whole idea that, yeah, we all were the bad guy. Um, I found myself as a young man and I called it Saxon lands. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, but it, it was, that's all, the best I could describe it at the time. And um, my father was an alcoholic and incredibly abusive. My mother was uh, overworked and had many, many children. I think I had six sisters. Um, and my father would get drunk and rape her and, you know, we all lived in like one room and this is what we witnessed growing up, you know? So we all had this hatred of my father. My mom found hope in me. And so my father would beat me, just beat me bloody. Anything I did, I was not good enough for him. Um, my sisters began to be married off for money 
And I was given the opportunity to join the army, if you will, to, to join the guard. And so I took it because for me, it was getting away from my father and it was food because we did not have enough. And I did feel this sense of I'm abandoning them, but I have to, if I'm going to survive, I have to leave or my father will kill me. And so I left and I became a soldier and I became a really, really good soldier, which is to say I was not a very, very good man. I killed and I raped and I pillaged and I was given lots of honors for doing all of those things. And I found wealth, um, but I still struggled. I felt this pain and I felt like I had this, I had to go find justice with my father. Now, one scene that I revisited, I went back to the farmhouse. All my sisters were gone, I think, except maybe one. My mother was there and my father was there. And I rode up and I had um, some fellow guards with me. And I saw my father and he said something cruel to me. And I stepped off my horse and I stabbed him in the heart. I killed him. And both my mother and sister were shocked and I could not understand. I did not have understanding of why they would be shocked. That's how much killing and, and pain I had meted out in the time since I had left them. And to me, I was only liberating them. And I had a bag of gold and I threw it at them. It didn't console them. I didn't really even talk to them. It was all about just getting vengeance on my father And I thought, oh, if I give them gold, they're going to be okay. Then I told the men that were with me to tie my father to the back of my horse. And I dragged him off and threw him over a cliff. And I went on and kept soldiering and kept killing. And I died a very unhappy man, feeling that I had been wronged by the gods. And... Okay, that's a lot. That was a really heavy life to go live, um, which gives you an idea of what some people might experience when they're with me here in my office. You know, it's very emotional to uncover this. Um, And as part of my healing, then, I went to the time of life planning between lives, which is in spirit realm. It's where we work with our guides and the other spirits with whom we are choosing to incarnate to say, this is what I want to work on. You know, who's up for being this person or, you know, and that's when the woman who is my mother might say, yes, I I want to know what it's like to be abused by my husband and raped continuously and, you know, made to make babies and made to serve what little food we have. I want to do that. My sisters might say, I want to, uh, yeah, I want to be abused. I want to be sold for money to, to be married to someone. So we, we all work together as souls. What I saw at that point was so revelatory to me. I had been presented as a soul with a plan A and a plan B. One of the plans was what I just told you. The other plan was that I would be born into a loving family with hardship, sure, 
Um, but not with alcoholism and not with abuse, not with rape seen over and over again of the, of my mother. Um, and I would be a mediocre soldier, not good, not bad. And I would marry and I would have a nice life, um, with some challenges. Yes. But you know, much more tempered than what it was that I actually chose. And what I came to understand at that point was that left a lot of work on the table. And I, <laughs> I know myself in this world as merit and I'm an overachiever. I always have been, I need to get A's, you know, I need to like, I need to be, if I'm going to be in a class of, of, of um, workers or a class or a team. I, I want to be the best I can be. I'm not necessarily competitive, but I really want to do my best to realize my potential. And I saw this in myself as a soul. And I said, I don't want to do 10 lives if I can do it in one. And if you souls there are willing to do this with me, let's do this because this is how we're going to learn the most. And this is how we're going to understand the most. And this is how ultimately we're going to let, let go of the most. And so that's what I chose. And that's what all those others in that life with me chose as well. That makes, yeah, that makes sense that you would be able to see that you would be, could grow more and not have to spend many lifetimes learning the same lesson. You know, it's interesting. This came up. Um, I told you I could share some anecdotal things about my clients. And I think this is really wonderful. I just thought it was so great. But I, I had a man come, come and see me um, who's a really, really hard worker, really hard worker. He works so hard and he's like building this incredible business and he's feeling frustration, right? We went back to, to a couple past lives and he was working so hard. He was working, working, working. He does not, he does not experience joy in his lives because he feels he has to just get it all done. And in the between life that we did, his spirit guide said to him, okay, you have two choices. You can go and do this work that you want to do. He's doing incredible work for the environment and, and alternative energy here now in this life. You can go do that or you can be a dolphin. And he said, what? I don't, I don't want to be a dolphin. He's like, okay, I'm going to make a compromise with you. You can go do this. You have free will as a soul. You do this. But you have to promise that you will take care of yourself and maybe in your next life you choose to be a dolphin and you play and you sing and you swim in the water and you just you're highly intelligent but you're you're not expected to do anything there's no expectation just be you know and so that's like side by side that's two choices both incredible learning one where you just, you know, you're not going to leave anything on the table. And one where your spirit guide says, I know you can do it. You have done it. Maybe for eons. I don't know how long. I don't know how many lives he's lived, how many times he's, he's exceeded expectations and come up against walls and felt like he can't get through the challenges. But for someone to be there and say, I know, I know you can do it. Now let's go be a dolphin. 
that to me was so loving and touching. I thought it was wonderful. And it was also an, an example of, I don't come across this very often. I've come across it only twice in, in my years of doing this work of, of souls that have been human that have chosen to come back as animals or have been given that opportunity. So it's not impossible. Um, and there are people, you know, that do this work that I do that say, oh, no, no, that never. But again, I've seen it and I've experienced it. And so I have to keep an open mind. And I, it's my new reality that, yeah, it is possible. I don't say, I would not say it's common, but it's possible. Yeah, that leaves me with two questions, really. And yeah. uh, one of them is like, who are the spirit guides? Because that's come up a few times. But yeah. also you said dolphins are highly intelligent animals. So is it only certain animals or is that still to be learned? Well, are dogs highly intelligent? I think that they are. Um, and I had another client who she did not come back as a dog, but her love from uh, this life had passed away and, and chose to come back as a dog to protect her from something that he could see would be in her future that he would not be, you know, if he came back as a human, he'd only be a child. But if he came back as a dog, he would be big and strong and able to protect her for this challenge that she had coming mm -hmm. for her. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would think that if, you, if it's in the highest good of your soul to experience being a field mouse, then absolutely you would come back as a field mouse. You'd make that decision. You know, I just think that we as humans, it's hard being a human. It is hard living in this place that's so heavy and dense and rife with emotions and political and really in a lot of ways crashing down. It's hard to do that, to make that choice. And I think that all of us on this earth have made that choice. We've made the hard decision to be human because this is how we're going to learn. I feel like I'm going to look at animals differently now, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's about my dog and like how her life is coming to an end and yeah, how that could be so different. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. My, my dog just died on Sunday. Oh. And she was, um, I'm a trail runner and she was my running partner for 13 years. And she was amazing. And she died because she threw herself between her, her little puppy sister and a skunk and took a skunk spray right to the face. And then her poor old system just couldn't handle it. And she had a stroke and she passed away. The way she died was so valiant it's so amazing. And she chose to die at a time when my husband and my daughter and I were right there. We all were within three feet of her and we all put our hands on her and helped her pass. It was so emotional and so wrenching, but I have so much respect for her. I mean, the love that she gave to us that last minute, the, the love that she gave to her little puppy sister was so her and you know yes they all have their personalities wild animals and and pets alike they have their personalities they have souls they're here doing their work too you know mm -hmm. I just feel blessed that we can share our lives with them and I think it does make you look at animals differently 
So I have been studying tarot. I don't know if you're interested in that at all. Yeah. But this whole conversation, like a few weeks ago, I drew the judgment card and judgment has come up a few times in this conversation. And when I first looked at it, I was thinking, okay, obviously there's going to be some element of good and evil here. But when you read the interpretation, it's more about like kind of like that in-between life state where you get to choose a new path. Yeah. You get to take your past life experiences and essentially determine like, I'm going to follow this next thing that feels right for me. Essentially. It's, it's more of like a, an end of your old life and a beginning of your new life. Right. Yeah. I think it's such a beautiful concept and Oh my, I don't know. It's just because I've been studying that, I feel like it's all coming together for me now. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Yeah. It's, it rolls too. It's like, you may feel like you've come full circle and in two years you'll be like, Oh, but this is another way to look at that. Yeah. And so that actually brings me to a point that I, I, you know, in, in the questions that you sent me to begin with, I really put a lot of thought into them. And one instance of where this kind of rolling understanding has happened for me is remember when we first started chatting today and I told you that the voice in my head said, it's time for you to help people live better and die without fear. Well, to me at that point in dealing with my husband's father's death, dying meant dying. And that's a huge thing. Yes, helping people face their own human mortality without fear, huge. Mm -hmm. And that now has been six years ago. And just this week, I came to a new understanding of what that message was. It's time for you to help people live better and die without fear. But When we talk about awakening, spiritual awakening, we inevitably come to the point where we're all, those of us who have loved and let go and loved and let go and loved and let go repeatedly of emotions that encumber us, come to a point where we're on the, on the, feels like on the edge of this vast void. It is the stillness. It is the zero point. It is source. So many people are faced with on this cusp is I'm afraid. I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid that if I step into this stillness, my ego will die. My self, all that I understand of who I am will die. The death of the ego and the life of the spiritual. And so it is a death, but it's not cancer and it's not you know any kind it's not covid it's it's not that kind of mortal death and i just this week i kid you not realized that my work is the death also of the ego and helping people step into that void of stillness and of oneness with spirit without fear. When I myself got to that void 
and I felt it and I thought, and it wasn't about physical death for me, which I can honestly tell you, Sarah, I am not afraid of physical death. What my fear was, was more, it was spiritually primal that I, that my soul, that the essence of me would not exist, which of course is, you know, logically that's not going to happen, but there's still that like, oh, oh, I can't jump off this cliff. I can't go into the nothingness because I'm afraid. And so I woke up and I made a note. I'm like, must deal with fear of not being. (laughs) It's not fear of death, right? It's fear of not being. Okay, strange thing. But earlier this week, I had a coworker send me an article on this guy who was an atheist who has decided that there are too many questions for him to believe that there's no life after death. Mm -hmm. Ended it with the thought that but we all just go back to some kind of energy source and we're not individuals anymore. And that thought actually scared me. And I feel like it's a similar thought here. It is. It is very similar. It's, it's oneness with all that is. It's like death of the importance of the ego. Again, from experience, I do not see that it's possible to release your ego unless you love yourself. Love, when you think about it, like what is, when we're afraid of judgment, what other people think of us, when we're afraid of um, failure, when we think we're not good enough, when we think we're powerless, we're powerless, it takes so much energy to feel that, to feel like a victim, to feel like we're, you know, less than. We put so much energy into that, right? When we can go in and release these emotions and free ourselves, liberate ourselves, literally let go, we're left with love. The only connections I can make here is love does not take work. And some might argue with me, but I I mean it on a deeply spiritual intrinsicness, not a level. Spiritually, love does not take work. And it's only when we get to that point where we truly love ourselves that we realize that it's okay to love and let go. And I've said it over and over again in this conversation, love and let go, where before I was talking about emotions, now I'm talking about the ego. The crazy thing about this conversation to me is that I think I, the concept of love and, and the way that it really is the driving force behind why we're here and why anything happens to us. Like that feels so powerful to me. And I feel like that is a message that like I would want to leave people with that. That's the purpose, you know, understand love. Thank you for listening to today's show. To further diverge from my usual format in order to better frame this episode, I just want to reiterate my last thought. Everything goes back to love. When I first started out on this journey, I was looking for the commonality between all spirituality and religion. And time and time again, 
I've come to find that the commonality is always about love. And for me, this conversation just continues to highlight that. If you're interested in learning more about Merit or having a reading with her, please visit her website at MeritFisher.com. That's M-A-R-I-T-F-I-S-C-H-E-R.com. Thank you so much, Merit, for sharing your time and expertise. I'd also like to thank Joseph McDade for letting us use his song Olympus. If you're a fan of the show, help us spread the word by leaving a review with lots of stars. For any feedback, stories, or ideas, please email me at thenosispodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thenosispodcast. Additional information on our guests can always be found in the show notes. Until next time, keep exploring those spiritual mysteries.